Welcome to episode number six of the Backlash podcast. Today, we have four guests with us again, including myself. We have John Holmgren, we have Carrie Hoppy, and we have Brad Hoppy. So let's uh, let's talk to them for a second. Brad, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. We've had a busy day in the shop, and uh, here we are. It's evening again, and we're going to do another podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. I mean, so far, things seem to be going pretty well with this. It sure does. Um, I'm pretty happy with everything. Uh, for the short amount of time that we've been playing with this, Jeff, uh, we're getting some uh, getting a little bit of rave out there, and we really haven't even marketed it yet. So I'm excited to see what happens from here on out. Agreed. So speaking of rave, nobody got more rave than our than Carrie. So Carrie, how are you doing tonight? We're super happy that you're back on the podcast because if it wasn't for you, we would have no fans. No, I don't believe that, but I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little tired today. We had a long day, but were, were you up, good. Were you up till 1 a.m. editing podcasts last night? No, I had 28 eight-year-olds in the shop today. But did you have 14 of them sleep over at your house ever? No, I, I'm not quite as crazy as you are. Well, then you got nothing. Uh, anyways, <laughs> our actual guest for the evening, afternoon, whatever it is, it's still sunny out, is John Holmgren. Hey, John, how are you doing tonight? Good. How are you guys? Good. So, John, uh, why don't we jump right into it? Why don't you give us a little bit of background on your guide service? Because um, it's come to my attention that you are a guide in the Bemidji area in Minnesota. So why don't you give us a little bit of background on that. Um, tell us whether or not you're out on the water full-time. Kind of just give us a rough outline of what you're what you're up to. Yeah, so I'm actually uh, not full-time yet. Um, I am looking to be going full-time um, sometime in the near future here. Um, but um, basically what my main goal is, is um, I offer my rates at a, at a pretty good rate. Um, I enjoy, and the reason why I do that is because I actually really enjoy um, taking people out. That's that's the whole goal for me is to get people out on the water to um, kind of experience uh, what it is that we do every day and why we do it. And uh, hopefully at the end of the day, um, the people that I take out can have a little bit more information on what we do it, you know, and use that in the future for themselves. So um, that's that's kind of my main goal. Um, I've been guiding now um, ever since I came out of high school. Um, I actually guided my way through college, so that was a plus. Um, I've been really fortunate to um, have, you know, lived in the Bemidji area. There's a lot of good opportunity around here um, for what I do, and uh, that's one of the main reasons why I'm excited to uh, be going full-time. So, um, so, yeah, that's kind of uh, the background of, you know, where I'm at and why I do it. And, and, uh, so that's kind of, it's kind of the reasons. So John, can you, uh, can you tell us how old you are? Yes, I am 30 years old. Just turned 30 Perfect. Uh, a couple weeks ago. Perfect, Brad. Our first guest under 40. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, this is probably, this is, this is a momentous occasion on our podcast. It's crazy. <laughs> Well, I have to admit, I, I kind of got a little smile and a smirk when uh, when he said 30. Uh, John John's actually part of our pro staff with Musky Mayhem. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know John real well, but I've been talking to him quite a bit this year. And 
he's just a, a really good dude. And, uh, <laughs> I want to, uh, give him the shout out, you know, and, uh, he has done a lot of neat things for us as a company. And I think that, uh, you know, if somebody's looking for a guide in that area of, of Minnesota, he's definitely somebody to check into. He's, he's on a lot of nice fish and, uh, he's doing a great job. So that's my shout out. And I appreciate your time to be here tonight too, John. Yeah, no problem. Say, John, one quick question is, do you get your moon chart, uh, your, your moon phases charts, do you get it from your phone or do you get it from a booklet? I get them from my phone, an app. <laughs> like I said, I'm 30 years old. I am, I am, a, I am in the millennial age. So. There, you, there you go, Brad. This podcast is successful already. <laughs> Uh, if I if I get a hold of him, uh, you know, get him out in the boat for a couple of days, he might start looking at books too. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I have both. I do think the book is more accurate. Yeah, it probably. You know, there's and the thing is with that is there's so many different apps out there, and I won't disagree. I have found definitely through trial and error, uh, compared a little bit and found that found an app that works good for me. So they're definitely out there in both ways. Work great. Which so. app do you like the best? Uh, the app that I use is actually called the Fishing and Hunting. It's that's the actual name of it. It's got a little fish on it, and uh, that one has been been very accurate for me. So, very cool. Okay, cool. Well, we'll check that one out too. We got, I don't know how many different apps I have on my phones. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a ton of them, and uh, it's kind of funny. And you know, every year some things change with the uh, the majors and minors, and I think we've discussed this before, but. It's really bizarre to me that one year it might just be moonrise. One year it might be sunrise. It might be moonset. Um, it might be a major. It might be a, a, an AM minor. You, you just don't know. And unfortunately, with the season only being six months, by the time you kind of figure it out, <laughs> the season's over, and then you uh, you wait another six months to go fishing again. So That's very true. One of the things that you had brought up to me at one point here, John, um, earlier that maybe you should share with our listeners is you said the minors maybe should be the new major, you know, explain that to us and kind of what your theory is there. Yeah. So, I mean, just based off of a lot of, I keep a log. Um, I also have an app for that. Um, it's a fishing log that I log every fish that I catch. Um, and over the last few years, it's definitely like you said, and like I said, you know, they call it a major and they call it a minor. Well, you're, your majors really should be your minors and your minors should be your majors because you get a, you get a more intense, it's a smaller window. Obviously your majors, you know, a little longer and extended, but the minors, in my opinion, um, with the moon over overhead and our moon rise and moon set, I feel like they're the last few years has been a real gravitational to big fish biting on those times. And, and especially the nighttime minors, um, it's it's just been crazy how how correlated that's been. So that's good information. And and what was the app that you said you are using for those? So for the app that I the app that I use is called Fishing and, Fishing and Hunting. Um, it's okay. that's the actual name of it. It's got a little fish on it, and that's that's been really accurate for me uh, based off of my catch rates. And like I said, I did bounce back and forth and check because. You know, I've, I've heard from uh, numerous uh, musky fishermen that are older than I am that, you know, those the paper files are more accurate. And, and 
and I believe that to be true as well. Because I mean, there's so many apps out there now that it's it's hard. So you just want to find that right one that that is correlating to the bite windows and making sure that it's it's the right one. Good stuff. So John, um, Minnesota season is going to kick off this weekend. I'm thinking this podcast will be up by then with the way we've been pushing them out. Um, what what are you going to key on to start the season off? Yeah, so I mean. It's coming, and I'm very excited. <laughs> it's been a long wait, so uh, I've been chomping at the bit. But this year, um, I'm not trolling. Isn't my my main source. I'm I'm more of a caster guy, um, but um, I am going to do whatever it takes to put my clients on fish and myself on fish. Um, and I know that open water trolling has been, you know, over the last. You know, however many years has been kind of uh, an up and coming thing, and a lot more people are doing it. Um, I'm not going to turn down. I'm not going to turn down fish. That's for sure. So I am going to start this year trolling a little bit. Uh, but along with that, you know, we have a lot of lakes around Bemidji that are smaller. Um, of course, you have your bigger lakes that are uh, part of the Mississippi chain. Uh, but we do we do have other lakes around here that are smaller, and those lakes tend to have a better casting bite early so i'm gonna start off this year with uh, open water trolling um, kind of gauge how the bite is there's been a lot of pressure on our lakes around here with the new open water bite kind of phenomenon going on and um, i'm going to kind of gauge that and then i'm going to bounce back and forth um searching those smaller lakes to uh, make sure that i'm not going to miss out on that casting bite because that is truly uh, my passion is the casting bite so I think a lot of people can relate to that, that, you know, they would all prefer to, uh, to catch a fish casting, but, you know, there's those times and places where, um, you know, you can offer something different. And I think that's the cool thing. We talked about it the last couple episodes that, uh, it's an opportunity for maybe the elderly or the youth to be able to, to make longer hours in the boat. So, you know, can't ever forget about trolling, as you said, and, um, the casting side of things, I think everybody loves casting, you know, you, there's more interaction with you and the fish when you go into a figure eight, um, so on and so forth. But, uh, so let's talk about what you're going to be doing casting, John. Yeah. So, you know, like I was mentioning, we got these smaller lakes around here. Uh, those lakes obviously are smaller bodies of water and, and the water temperature will rise faster than the others. Um, and what happens there is, you know, those fish tend to go into their spawn a little quicker um, you got vegetation that's going to be growing quicker. Your cabbage is going to start to stand up, turn green a lot faster than a lot of these other bigger lakes around that are still going to be at colder water temperatures. So, um, like I said, you know, one of the biggest tools that I use is uh, the side imaging that, now from Hummingbird, and um, it's an amazing tool. So what I do is I go out, I, uh, I have my areas, my wheat beds that have been marked out. Um, I map out all my lakes um with the cabbage beds that i'm fishing um and i go back to them this time of year and i keep checking on them to find out when you know they're ready to hold fish and, and once those areas are good to go then then i'll probably switch back to casting because you know that's kind of that's kind of my game so um i tend to throw smaller bucktails um uh smaller jerk baits things like that you know um those fish aren't quite fired up yet um, but you know, as soon as that water temperature starts to rise, obviously that's going to spark them more. And, and you start to see, you know, you start to see that bucktail bite 
you know, um, around, you know, beginning of July to mid July around here really start to fire up. But on some of those smaller lakes, you get to the end of June and, and it can, it can be hot at times. So, so I just kind of keep an eye on, on all the local lakes around here, checking my vegetation, checking, you know, the fish activity. So. Okay. Well, you, t- you touched on that a couple times, John. Um, tell me, what, what are you looking for in that vegetation? I mean, are you looking for how high it's growing? What, tell, get in a little more depth about yeah. when you know that it's a time to start casting. What do you yeah, you, you know, like, you know, fall time, and, and we're actually very fortunate around the Bemidji area. We still have a lot of really good cabbage. Um, we haven't had the rusty crayfish invasion yet. Um, we do have zebra mussels now that are starting to make their way. Bemidji just got called out um, not too long ago for zebra mussels. Um, that was last year. And uh, but we've been fortunate so far to not have the rusty crayfish invasion. So we still have we still have really good cabbage um, lakes, and that's that's the main source um, of cover that our muskies around here use. Um, I make fun of my buddies. You know, my buddies make fun of me down in the cities about fishing the milfoil and all that stuff, and and they're pretty jealous when they come up and get to see those big lush cabbage beds up here. So. So it's we've been fortunate to not have any of that happen yet. But what I'm really looking for is in those smaller lakes, when when I really can tell it's ready is, you know, come fall time, um, the cabbage bed starts to decay and starts to lay down. Um, and like I said, with the smaller lakes and the warmer water temperatures, that cabbage tends to perk up a lot faster. So as soon as that cabbage starts um, gaining elevation and starts to give those muskies something to relate to and, and holding bait fish for them to relate to, then then that's when that lake is going to be ready to go. And like I said, I like to do a, a slower presentation to start off with until I know that they're all fired up and ready to go. And, and uh, But yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Good stuff. So John, have you been, uh, you talk about, you know, looking at the weed beds and whatever, have you been out on the water already? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, definitely going out there, kind of checking water temperatures, um, checking, making sure that, you know, um, the spots that I've had marked out, the vegetation hasn't changed much, the areas where I'm fishing and stuff. But yeah, definitely, I definitely put a lot of time um, on the water and not necessarily fishing. I, I mark out all weed beds, um, marking out, I feel like mark taking the time to go out and find those weed beds and using side imaging now i mean i actually can see the the actual muskies that are locating on those particular weed beds um and marking them out so that you know you can make the best of, out of every pass that you do um muskies are definitely when they're ready to bite muskies are spot on the spot and there's a reason why muskies bite where they do you see areas and this this might sound crazy but there are definitely areas where muskies um, locate to feed. There's areas where muskies locate to digest. And so what I'm doing is I'm going over these areas and past, um, fish catches on my, um, on my app and, and, and going back and forth between the two and putting together what weed beds have produced and why they've produced and where they've produced. It's a big, it's a big thing to go out there and and do your research and mark those areas it's going to, it's going to increase your fish catch by, you know, tenfold. So, so then I have two questions, two follow-up questions, I guess. One would be what, what are you looking at for water temps about right now? Also, 
as far as what are, what are they at right now currently? Yes. So currently, right now, water temperatures are somewhere around fifty. We're fifty-two the last time I was out, so they're still pretty chilly. <laughs> so, so they're about as cold as we thought that they would be over in your area, um, Brad. Yeah, you know, Bemidji's not too far from me, and uh, no. it's really interesting because Lake Bemidji fishes a lot like some of my local water. Um, fifty-two is not all bad. I'm I'm actually happy about that because. You know, yep. we had a really nice warm day today. I don't know what, how warm it ended up getting, but we, um, we've got a nice calmer day. It isn't quite as windy, and the sun's beating down on that water the last two, three days. So uh, 52 makes me excited. Yep, me too. So then the other thing I picked up out of that was you, you talked about an app for your catches. Do you log every one of your catches on an app? Yes, I do. I Every fish, it's an actual app that I use. Mm-hmm. Um, app that I use is called Angler's Log, and it gives me the ability to put a picture in there. It gives me the ability to ask where I caught it, the length, um, what time I caught it, and then it gives you a section for notes. And I always put, um, you know, everything I can in there. And then what I do is at the end of every year, um, like I was mentioning before, um, cross-referencing between the weed beds and and my catches and stuff, I will. I will cross-reference those at the end of the year, do my research, and kind of get a pattern together that I can apply to the next year. So let me ask you this, John. Um, Does the app do that cross-referencing for you, or is that something that you have to take the time to do? No, it's something that you got to take the time to do. But, I mean, it is definitely well worth your time to do it. So definitely. Interesting. See what yep. see what happens, Brad. You get a guy on that's less than forty years old. He's logging his catches with apps on his phone. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, funny, you 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 think I'm old school and everything, but you know what? I had the idea of doing something where like that app um, a long time ago, and I I always thought it would be cool if you could have some like basically putting something together so that you could actually do searches on there. So. 52 degree water every stinking catch that you ever got at 52 degree water would be right there at your fingertips you know what i mean yeah versus having to search through it and that's why i asked the question you know is that something that you have to dig through or yeah so i I think i kind of i think i kind of misunderstood your question there but yes actually the app that i have will kind of statistically break out it doesn't go into the depth of of what your notes are but it does go into the depth of being able to put in your size and what lake you caught it on um and those two are filterable so it actually does give you kind of a statistic of where you caught them and it'll tell you your percentage of catches on each lake that you enter in so yes it does do some of that but it doesn't go to the extent of water temperature and that kind of thing but definitely goes to lake so yeah well, that, that's the word I was looking for. You hit it on the head, filtering it. You know, I, yep. I think the, some of those app companies, if they're listening, um, <laughs> it would be really cool to see that. Um, a little bit further searching filters, if you will. I think yep. it would be really beneficial as an angler then. Um, Definitely. Not that they're bad now, but, I mean, there could be some cool improvements, I think. Yeah, but, for sure. So, good stuff. Um, so you said little baits, you're going to go for the little baits, you know, and it's funny to me, I am a big bait guy and generally speaking, even first day of the season, 
I go big baits. Um, whether I'm casting or trolling, um, does that differ if you were going to go out, say, say you're going out and you, uh, opening morning here this coming weekend and you're casting and you're casting your small baits, John, what happens if, uh, if you're not moving the fish, you're not seeing the fish and Hey, I'm going to go do some trolling. Um, so you, you did the, do the change. What baits are you going to use if you're doing the trolling aspect? Yeah. So the trolling aspect, I really like, um, uh, headlocks by big natural. Um, those have been a proven bait around the area that I, I fish a lot. Um, you know, there's, there's so many with the world out there today of bait making, um, there, there's so many options that you can go with. Um, I do know that I go with that for a reason, just because it's been a proven bait for me around here and, um, you can get it and there's some specific colors that I really like that are put out by them, um, that imitate the fish that we have around here, uh, bait fish that we have around here. So, um, that's, that's typically what I'm trolling. Um, and I will, there are times that I will put all four, um, lines. If we got four guys in the boat, we'll put out four, four headlocks sometimes. So, um, it's just been a proven bait. It's a bait that I've liked to use. So, um, that's kind of my go-to if I'm going to troll. Right. Do you troll on blades? I do switch up. I have, I have trolled, um, um, some blades. Um, it's definitely something that I'm going to be experimenting with for sure. A lot more this year. So. Cool stuff. Um, yes, for sure. So what size are we talking like in the headlocks? Um, what is it that uh, you're going to troll mostly, you know, the beginning of the season like this? Are you doing tens or 12? You're going to do the 12s. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 12s. Which is always pretty typical, but I just thought I would see where yep, you're for at. for sure. And yeah, uh, for sure. What your experience has been. You know, definitely... you, you mentioned, you mentioned big bait guy, you know, and, and, and I am a big bait guy. I mean, I, like I said um, before, I, I, I'm a supermodel guy through and through. I've used those for years and they've put numerous, numerous big fish in the boat for me. And there are times early season that I will switch if small, small baits aren't doing it. Sometimes those fish are looking for a big meal early season as well too. So, um, I, I am also a big bait guy. I throw a supermodel in my boat pretty much all year round, especially from the time that the bucktail bite really turns on all the way through November. So um, I'm, I'm the same way when it comes to big baits. I think big, big baits, big fish, and it's been proven, proven out for me in that situation as well. So. Well, I think the big relationship in my mind anyway, uh, and it seems to follow suit with the fish. Um, the relationship that I have is, you know, you've got all these fish that just got done spawning and they're beat up and they're sore and they probably really haven't eaten that well, you know, during that whole time frame. Some of them may have not eaten for three or four days, weeks, whatever it might be, you know, while they're going through the motions of the spawn. And so I think a bigger, more valid point, um, in my opinion, and this is, again, my opinion, um, is slow things down. Um, you might be able to go bigger, but slow it down because they're going to be beat up, sore, a little bit lazy, but looking for that bigger easy meal if you will and a slow bait that just kind of hovers in front of their face that's that slow easy meal for them so for that's sure been my theory for a long time um don't get me wrong i i've played with the small baits and opener as well but uh i think speed of retrieval is a underutilized um 
idea and thought by many people. And yep. to me, speed of retrieval, whether it be trolling or casting, is number two to weather when it comes to musky fishing. Going slow is hard for people. It's super hard for most people to slow down as much as you need to slow down. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on the slow part. I mean, talking about night fishing, you know, um, when you're night fishing and you're throwing big blades, I don't throw anything. I mean, I throw a supermodel strictly at night. Um, and and when you say slow, I mean, you're I'm barely cranking that thing to the point to where you're just letting those blades do the work and do that slow thump on it. And, you know, the thing is, is, is letting that slow down is the biggest key to those fish biting. And and you'll have, it's amazing how many fish that are over 50 inches that I've caught on a supermodel are the slightest little tick. You don't even, it doesn't even feel like a fish biting. It's, it's yeah. literally just a tick and you set the hook and, and, and it's on, you know, so slowing it down is definitely key in a lot of situations, you know, I remember one time with Carrie, um, and I used to do a lot of night fishing. Um, there was no splash. There was no hook set. There was nothing. And she was slow rolling a double cowgirl. And it's pitch black out. And she goes, Brad, get the net. And I'm like, what? And she goes, get the net. And I go, what are you talking about? She goes, I have a fish on. Get the net. And so <laughs> I run up there with the net. And... I flip my headlamp on and this fish goes ballistic and starts just terrorizing, you know, and yep. she had that fish pinned right by the boat. It never made a sound. It just clamped onto her double cowgirl and was done. It was yep. crazy, <laughs> but I've, I've never seen anybody slow roll as slow as Carrie. She's really good at it. Yeah. You just get the yep. blades spinning. You keep them spinning. That's right. Definitely. I think the one problem that people have slowing down sometimes these days is just the high speed reels that are available. Everybody's using these higher speed reels. So, you know, they, they slow down a little bit, but it's picking up so much line that that doesn't even slow it down all the way. Sometimes that's the case. A lot of it though is like, it's very hard. It's not for me because I'm not a super fan of pain, you know? So the slower you go, the less it hurts. Um, but some people, they just, you just can't slow down. They're so used to, to going fast, you know, and having that, having their bait come in, um, you know, a few feet under the water, like two feet where my bait's probably running at like, what, five or six feet under the water. Sometimes I'll even count them down and, and then go. Cause when, I, when I get to the boat, it's coming straight up at the boat. You know, there's no, there's, it's coming straight up, you know, out from underneath basically. Yeah, and it's and it's funny you say that because you know, especially nighttime, I'm I'm the exact same way. You want to get those blades, and I'll I'll rip it through the cabbage. Even I mean, it's to the point to where I'm slow rolling through the base of those cabbage uh, beds and and getting that bait down in that strike zone for those fish. Um, and and definitely I'm the same exact way. You know, you're pulling almost direct vertical when you get to the boat and going into yeah. the eight. Definitely. Here's the solution. Um, I think Jeff keyed in on a really good point and the new high speed uh, reels that a lot of these guys are using nowadays um, if you were to compare them to the old Shimano TEs which I still love the TE I think it was a great reel um, and I own a lot of them but 
one thing that I used to do when I was guiding and I, we were doing the night fishing scenario as a guide, I had to figure out how can I get these guys to slow things down? I literally cut the leader off and pulled half the line off the reel. Um, and then, then since then I have certain reels in the boat that have half the line capacity because now you take some of that gear ratio away. When you have a full capacity reel, you're getting all the, the capacity of what the reel is created for. But by peeling off half the line, it's going to slow down your retrieval process quite a bit. So, yeah, it's a great point. Very good point. Little tip, I guess. I'm going to have to start using that one. <laughs> well, it's one of the deals where, you know, it just depends on, on the individuals, yeah. you know, and I, yeah. everybody's, uh, everybody's got a different tone or a different speed. And I can tell you, you know, once you figure out and target in on what those fish want, duplicating that is so key. And yep. um, I think yep. those are all valid points to uh, the musky game. Yeah. And like you said, keying in and that's, that's the biggest thing, you know, I mean, there's times where, you know, you're slow rolling nighttime, early season, but then again, on the flip side, obviously everybody knows that, you know, come midsummer those fish are getting active in that high speed and have actually i've had quite a few guys i made a post on on facebook here, um, earlier this year about um the supermodel like i said i use it pretty much all year round and and i my my saying is, is slow roll at night and burning during the day because when midsummer comes around i am literally burning as fast as i can on those supermodels and and that right there has been one of the biggest big fish triggers um, that I've had over the last four or five years is just burning the biggest bait you can. And yes, like, like Carrie mentioned, um, my wife is a big musky guru as well. And the slower, you know, the less it hurts, but sometimes you got to take the pain to get that fish, you know, so, but, and it, and it makes, it, it, it has made a huge difference burning big blades like that for, for my boat, for sure. It's just, uh, it comes with a good chiropractor, right? That's right. <laughs> I have one of them too. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I, it's so amazing to me. Um, I think the trend and Jeff can probably answer this better than any of us because he sells everything. Um, the trend over the last year or two that I've seen is guys are downsizing. They're using smaller and smaller baits and we see it in our sales. Um, Jeff, do you, can you relate to that at all? Absolutely. Smaller is definitely, I mean, it's almost like reverse trend from what it used to be where it was bigger, bigger, bigger. Now it's smaller, smaller, smaller. Um, I know one of the most popular, the two most popular baits that we've had now, both, the, both of them are new, but your single girl is, I don't remember if it's number one or number two, but it's, it's in the top two. And then the other one is the 22 short SS and neither of those baits are big i mean the 22 ss is four inches long now i don't know if the 22 ss is really selling as well right now because it's seasonal and most people are of the mentality small in the spring and they're gearing up for the spring i don't know if that's the case we'll see you know what it's like what the sales are like in july but those are the two most popular baits that we've sold this year and they're both you know and they're both um small baits and then um, Brad Rue came out with the new shallow swimming dog, which is again, it's a, it's the Magnum shallow swimming dog. So it's a 10, 11 inch bait somewhere in there roughly, but the regular size swimming dog still outsells the new, the new one. And I'm, you know, again, it's just uh, the trend, like you said, is smaller baits. 
you know, John had mentioned uh, 12-inch headlocks. Honestly, I don't know if we've sold a 12-inch headlock in Wisconsin yet. I mean, when the only place we ever sell 12-inch headlocks is Minnesota, which sometimes I wonder, you know, how much min- how much Wisconsin guys miss the boat by not experimenting a little bit with larger baits. Um, our guest in Podcast 5 was Pete Rich. Now, I know Pete definitely takes advantage of it. He's using uh, 12-inch matlocks and... Um, and 10 inch matlocks more. So profiles bigger, but I, you know, I sometimes wonder if Wisconsin guys aren't missing it a little bit. I I would agree with that completely back. Um, when I was doing a ton of filming for making videos and things, um, which I'll be doing some filming again now, but, uh, I was fishing with Tanner wilds and it was really interesting to me. He's like, put that supermodel on. And I'm like, what, you know, we were on the Chippewa flowage and I'm like, Everything everybody always tells me is you can't throw even a cowgirl because that's too big. And um, I thought, really? You know, and I caught fish over there on cowgirls. But he's like, nope, we're going bigger. We're going to do something different, unique from what everybody else is doing. And guess what? It was maybe a half hour and I had a, a mid-40s fish on, you know. So I kind of like to go against the grain and I think maybe that's some of the reason why I choose to use bigger baits in the spring as well. Um, everybody else is out there throwing something small, great time to throw something big in my mind. I mean, it certainly seems like, uh, if we're just trying to shed light on stuff, you know, we're just trying to give a new perspective to people, um, that listen. And so I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, guys should maybe give it a shot. If anything, you know, give it four hours. If you have three guys in the boat, have one of the guys throw a bigger bait and see what happens. I mean, you'd be surprised sometimes. I know, you know, last year in one of my videos, I caught a, I caught a muskie. I caught a, I don't know, the thing must've been 30 inches. I caught it on a 12 inch matlock. So, I mean, little fish don't have issues attacking big baits either. No, no, not at all. There's no doubt about that. No. And you know, to, to kind of chime in on that, you know, the thing is, is, is you guys said it is, you know, Everybody knows that musky fishing is, you know, yeah, you can go out, you know, one one time here or there, get lucky and pop a fish or two. But, you know, musky fishing, just like anything, is, is, you know, you put your time into it and you study what you do and you put all your effort into figuring out the fish and figuring out the patterns. And it's, you got to be willing to change things up is the biggest thing in my mind, especially with the amount of pressure that are on these lakes nowadays. I mean, these fish are seeing a million baits and if those fish are seeing at the beginning of the season, a million small baits, so maybe it's time to change it up and try something big, but you know, just keying in on, on what those fish want at that particular time and running with that. I think that's, I think that's the biggest part of musky fishing is just figuring out the fish and what they want, you know? So. There's no doubt about that. And that kind of leads into, and I'm going to leave Jeff talk about it. Um, the question that we think we've had on every podcast so far, Jeff, go ahead and shoot it at John. So John on every podcast we've, we've talked about it and it's something that I think every one of us wrestles with, no matter what your level of experience is, is when to change up your pattern. So for example, yesterday you were catching fish on cowgirls or bulldogs. It doesn't matter today. You've spent four or five hours doing it. Is it, is it so much to, you know, first off, is it, are you going to change the bait? Or are you going to change your location? So if you could touch maybe on a little bit of when when you decide to change either location or bait on a pattern that was proven yesterday. Yeah. So 
you know, I got a couple, I got a couple routes I'm going to take on this. And first of all, um, I'm going to go back to it and it's, it's, it's the side imaging. Um, it's been amazing working with the side imaging and, and understanding the way these fish act. I mean, it's almost to the point now to where you can call your cast on the side imaging. Um, you know, you look at the fish and if, are they off bottom or are they down on the bottom? And, and, and all this ties back into exactly what your question is, is when do you switch? Well, the thing is, is if you've got a good pattern going and you know it was effective yesterday, you know, is the conditions the same as what yesterday is? Is it, is it you know, if it's warm yesterday, is it warm again today? South wind yesterday, is it south wind today? You know, and, and if it's not, and you're not getting on the fish and your side imaging is telling you otherwise, then then it's time to either move location or try something, a slower presentation. If it's colder today than it was yesterday, slow it down. If it's warmer than it was yesterday, speed it up. You know, those fish aren't going to travel across the lake in, in one day. And if you're on, if you're on, because, and I'm a firm believer that, and, and side imaging has taught a lot of us musky fishermen this, when you find one fish, you're going to find more in that same area. They're there for a reason. And so the thing is, is, it's not always necessarily changing the location, but, you know, if the wind is switching, maybe, you know, if it was from the south, maybe that north shore was on fire yesterday and now it's a north wind, you know, then maybe it's time to switch. But you got to gauge it off of, you know, what what the conditions were yesterday, what you were using yesterday, and then kind of base it off of them, uh, off of that situation. Um, so I got to... I got a different question then that kind of ties to that. What's your thoughts, John? I mean, say the side imaging wasn't available. First of all, what unit are you using? And then second of all, um, in importance of your game of musky fishing, how important is the side imaging? So, uh, you know, it's, you know, side imaging is something that's a newer technology. I use the Helix um, 10 and 12. And I use the mega side imaging. I used to have the regular side imaging, and you could you couldn't tell a muskie nearly as well as what the mega is. I mean, everybody—I shouldn't say everybody—but most people now have seen um, the images that you get of an actual muskie. I mean, you can tell the actual dorsal fin, the tail fin. You can tell all these fins on these fish. Even you can see their nose, their tails. You know, so. Um, it's really, really increased my fishing, um, catch rate. I mean, it's, it's crazy. We did some experimenting last fall, um, that there's a stretch of, uh, last fall where we really got into a bunch of nice fish and we got it down to the science to where you could judge a muskie that was going to bite versus a muskie that wasn't just because of the shadow that it's, that it's portraying on your side imaging. If that fish is giving off a real good high definition image, it's because it's up off the bottom a little bit, which means that fish is active. And we went around on a school of fish. We had um, we had um, a couple wolf packs that we were going around on, and it was just insane. When we had um, the first snowfall there in October, I don't know if you guys remember that, but here in Minnesota we had a pretty early snowfall. Well, we were out on the water that night, and literally as soon as that front came in that school of fish literally all lifted off bottom and they moved down the shoreline approximately 100 yards there was a bunch of tulabies that had came up it was a perfect scenario last year um, water temperatures were hovering around 40 41 so it kept all those tulabies up on their spawn for an extended period of time 
So we were able to stay on a group of fish that was um, very intense. And we got to learn a lot about side imaging. And, and we were actually to the point to where we were almost calling our cast on a fish. So it's definitely changed my way of fishing. Um, I, I can almost tell when those fish are active and we can we can get on a good active school fish. So it's 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 been crazy. It really has. I I can't tell you, man. I you know we've talked about it a couple different times now, and and uh, it's interesting. You know, I, I was a Lawrence guy forever, and I had an eleven ninety eight. I had two boats for a long time, and so one boat was set up with Humminbird, one was set up with Lawrence, and they both had side imaging previous to the the mega imaging that uh, Humminbird came out with a few years ago. And I can tell you, since then, I, I don't turn it off. I have one dedicated yeah. unit to side imaging. And the reason I do is it's that important. It really, truly is. I agree 100%. Yeah, 100%. See, Jeff, he's not totally old school. No, he's certainly not with that. <laughs> Just about everything else. That's true. That's true. But this is where you're supposed to jump in, Carrie, and say, but you don't have to have side imaging to catch muskies these days. You don't. You I don't. I said that in one podcast. Um, no, you don't need it. I mean, it, the side imaging is expensive, and it's, it's you know, not not for everyone. You can still catch muskies the old-fashioned way by casting and finding them instead yes. of looking for them and then casting. No, that's a hundred percent true too. It's it's a good tool to help you and, and whatnot, but you are hundred percent right. You can still pattern fish. I think it's funny, you know. It's I a had, phenomenal tool. I had a guy tell me one time. He goes, he goes, I, I just I don't have a boat like you. And I said, What do you mean you don't have a boat like me? And he says, Well, I don't have a ranger, and I don't have this, and I don't have that. And I'm like, Do you have a boat that you don't have to bail water out of? And um, he said, well, yeah, I don't bail water out of it. And I said, then you got the right boat. Quit worrying about what it looks like or how much it costs. None of that really factors into the game of musky fishing, you know? So ultimately, time on the water, hard work, you're still going to pay off and get big fish. That's that's what it's all about, truly. But any tool that you could put in your favor, why wouldn't you, you know? Right. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, Brad. I mean, there are people that probably think that just because you don't have an expensive boat means you can't catch these fish. But I mean, I've caught them. I have a row trolling boat. It's not real big, fancy at all. It doesn't even hardly have a, it's got a trolling motor on there. I mean, it's got oars. Like that's where I've caught them. So, uh, you know, muskies don't care what your boat looks like. It's more about, uh, your passion and your dedication to getting out there and on the water. I mean, if you're out there on the water, all that, you know, if you're out there on the water, pounding, working hard, Side imaging, no side imaging, you still have a good chance. I said for it for sure. years, you, you'll never catch them from your couch. So that that's the whole thing. You know, I mean, it's time on the water and uh, dedication. So I don't know. I That's the beauty of the sport. It truly is. You know, you look at ice fishermen, okay? You got an ice fisherman who has, a, well, nowadays, over here in our area, a $40,000 fish house. Or they have a pop-up like a clam or, or whatever. And, or you got the guy that's sitting on a bucket and he chiseled his hole with a chisel versus an auger. I mean, th it's no different fishing from a canoe, fishing from a 16-foot boat, fishing from a 21-foot boat. You know, it's all feasible. Everybody can do it. For sure. 
And, you know, just to kind of touch on a little, another something too is, is, you know, back in the day, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have social media or podcasts like this. Um, something that I recommend to people who are just starting or, you know, uh, semi pros at musky fishing that really want to soak up information like a sponge and stuff like this. I mean, I mean, the old timers didn't have information like that, like we do now at our fingertips. And I think it's so cool. Um, just, you know, we're, we're all in this sport together and, and, you know, sometimes we tend to, as, as a human society, we kind of tend to bounce off of that, but I'm, I'm in the mindset and that's why I do guiding and offer lower rates because truly at the end of the day, this is what I love to do. And this is what I love to share this passion with everybody and and to share the knowledge and it's just so cool that we have so much knowledge at our fingertips nowadays to help us with to guide people this way and that's that's ultimately what i believe this podcast is for and what i guide for and all that is just giving people that information and making it a little easier for them to go out and catch fish there's no doubt about it. It makes it fun for all of us. John, sure. you say old timers. I just want to know <laughs> you are talking about Brad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> why why exactly. am I always the old guy here? Come on. Because you are the old guy. I was going to say, because you are the old guy. That's why you're oh, the okay. old guy. Now, yeah. if, you, if you want to find a guest that's like 52, then you won't be the old guy anymore. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna call Herbie. <laughs> Let's do it. No, that's, that's good stuff. No, I, you know, that's the incredible point, and I think it's very important that people understand. You know, I think a lot of times people have this misconception that guides don't want to share, and that's so far beyond it. You know, I mean, they're they're in business because they are sharing, and uh, yep. you know, I would recommend to anybody hire a guide out with them you know as long as they're, they're reputable or um maybe you heard from word of mouth or whatever that this is the guy you want to go fish with try them out because you'd be surprised at what you can learn with a guy there's no doubt about it definitely 100 percent agreed i mean if you're if you're new to musky fishing and you've never and you've never done it or you've done it unsuccessfully on your own go s- spend the money for a day you know on the water with a guide it can drastically decrease, you know, it can drastically decrease your learning curve. It's unbelievable what they can teach you. And a lot of them are really great teachers. There's no doubt. And, For sure. and, and they enjoy that side of it. I mean, just like John said, I mean, it's perfect. I, I uh, couldn't disagree with anything you've said, John, and, and it's fun. It's truly fun watching somebody get their first fish or sure. watching it click in their mind that, hey, I can go do this, you know? definitely it's important so john you talked about um obviously the the knowledge and the sharing and the you know and all that all that um before we wrap up why don't you leave us with one one tip for the night or for the day i know you generally it sounds like you're you're doing a lot of night fishing and we haven't really talked about night fishing a ton uh in previous podcasts can you give say somebody wants to just start out night fishing um can you you know can you touch on that just a little bit yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the thing is, is night fishing is the only difference is, is it's dark out. I know a lot of people sometimes are weary to do it um, because they don't know the lake um, well enough to navigate around at night. Um, or, you know, like my wife, she's a little scaredy cat at night. She doesn't want <laughs> so she 
she tends to, you know, veer away from nighttime, but that's all right. I'm working her into that. But, you know, the thing is, is, is I've been saying now for quite a while that nighttime is the right time. Um, there's a lot of pressure on these lakes. A lot of lakes are getting hit. Um, these fish see baits um, continuously. And I think it's just one of those next steps that kind of changes, you know, your presentation. Yeah, you might still be throwing a supermodel like I like to throw at night and slow roll it. But the thing of it is, is at that point, a lot of times those fish aren't going off of um, a sight. You know, they're going off more feel and, and sense than it is sight. So it's definitely changing something up. But nighttime um, is definitely the right time. And, and it's something that, like Brad mentioned earlier, it's kind of a lost art. And, uh, you know, nowadays with the new navigation systems, I mean, you can't fully rely on them, but they definitely help out with, you know, knowing where you're at and, and just make sure you're safe out there because it, it can be dangerous fishing at night, especially if you're up on a lake like Vermilion, for instance, there's a lot of hazards and stuff. So just keep that in mind when you're doing it, don't do something that you don't feel comfortable with, but, but definitely nighttime has, has been a big key for me to put a bunch of big fish in the boat in the last, you know, however long last few years so it's it's definitely something i go to a lot now it, it surprises me john because you know we did a lot of night fishing in the early 2000s and uh it's we always had success with it you know i felt like uh, a few years there when the lax was really on fire we joked around that we were a bunch of vampires because we never seen the sun you mm-hmm. know um i don't think i have a big uh 50 inch fish that i caught in the day Really? I think all I have five, I think, and I think every last one of them caught in the dark. That's crazy, but I, I think for whatever reason, and I don't know, maybe it's because the guides started getting tired of it. I I don't know, but it's kind of a lost art, and um, you know, it's cool to hear you talking about it and be so passionate about it. And I, I plan on doing a little bit more of it again. Um, we just actually put out a video on YouTube on our Muskie Mayhem YouTube channel, and um, it's called Bump in the Night. And the cool thing about that was um, it wasn't your classic night. And I would say, generally speaking, when you're out night fishing, you want a calmer night, you know, something that you don't want 20-mile-an-hour winds. And that particular night was a windy night. Um, We just made a change and used louder, noisier baits, and we were successful. Um, But... uh, it's fun. And, uh, it's kind of, uh, one of them things where I just told the story about Carrie, you know, she has one on and I didn't even know it, you know, the fish are a little bit different, but the one thing that you kind of touched on too, John, is that, you know, it's no different than daytime fishing in the sense that, Hey, you got those same kind of windows. Um, you need to put your time in. If you're dedicated to night fishing, you better put your time in. Yeah, for sure. And you know, windows, you mentioned windows, you know, like we, like we touched on earlier, you know, the majors should be minors and minors should be majors. But, you know, it's been crazy the last few few years how correlated that um, that minor at night has been for big fish. I mean, um, you know, like Gary was saying, you know, her five biggest have been at night. Well, you can kind of go on my guide page and look at my pictures from the last few years. And, and it's the same way. I mean, it's just the bigger fish. I don't know. I don't know what it is about it if they're a little bit smarter to where they don't bite during the day because they're going off a of visual to where at nighttime, it's just that little extra difference in presentation that will get them to trigger. And, and it's not something that they're seeing every day, day in and day out. 
Um, maybe that's what it is, but all I know is like we mentioned before, patterning the fish is what it's about. And that's definitely been a really key pattern for me in the last few years. So. I wonder if we could relate this back to bow hunting. We had a couple of relations last, uh, in the last podcast to, to hunting. Um, Jeff Whitman was talking about hunting. Well, Jeff wasn't so much, but Pete and I did a little bit. Oh, okay. I, I wasn't. Um, that was the, uh, Brad and Pete show. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if you think about it, um, a lot of your bigger bucks end up going nocturnal. Why, you know, maybe that's the relationship right there, you know? Yeah. Um, they, they're, bigger, uh, they're bigger and smarter, you know? So maybe that's, and maybe that relates to the muskies, you know, they're bigger and smarter. And as much as people want to say fish are too dumb to pattern humans, that's, that's not true either. So definitely that's a, not. That's a valid point too, John. I think uh, a lot of times some of these guys are fishing too close to the fish, if, if you know what I'm saying. Um, yep. Meaning that uh, the fish already has identified that your boat is there and that you're casting at them. So, you For know, sure. keeping keeping a little bit of distance from your spot isn't a bad thing either. No. And, and you know, like I was mentioning earlier with, with going out and um, marking all, all my cabbage beds, that is the biggest reason why I do it. Because how many times have you been on a spot to where, you know, you accidentally run up on the weed bed and you bring your bait up to the boat and all of a sudden this big fish comes shooting up from underneath you and you're like, man, I wish I would have been back a little bit and I'm on a good spot. And not only that, but a lot of times that same weed bed that had that big fish, has got two or three other big fish sitting there waiting to chow too. And now you just ran over those fish. Well, if you're back a ways, they don't know you're there. It gives you more time for your presentation to work the way it should get them that extra time to maybe if they're going to go in the eight, you know, so definitely definitely a big key in in marking out your good spots is is making sure you don't run on top of them valid points i think uh i think we did good guys i i think that's i mean i think we had a lot of good information tonight john definitely brought um a different perspective that we hadn't hit on the on the podcast yet with you know mostly talking about night uh one one thing that we definitely uh you know touched on slightly brad was wind and i think one of these podcasts we need to talk about wind wind direction what type of effect we think that has on muskies because um i think that could be something that a lot of people don't necessarily pay as much attention to as well i think that's a valid point as well um definitely we can we could dig into that that's for sure so that is episode six of the Backlash podcast. If you want to, you can find us on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn Radio. Did I hit them all, Carrie? Uh, I think so. I've, I've been um, missing the TuneIn Radio because I just heard about that one lately. She's, she's actually on her phone answering all of her fan mail. I believe it. I am actually on my phone um, uploading social media stuff. So still working like usual. I've seen my phone get tagged, you know, that says Backlash Podcast is tagging me in posts. So speaking of which, Backlash Podcast, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We don't have a Twitter because I don't even know if musky guys use Twitter. Uh, if you want, you can find us. Uh, email would be backlashpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I am associated with a company called Team Rhino Outdoors. You can find uh, Team Rhino Outdoors at teamrhinooutdoors.com. Brad, why don't you go ahead and sign off? Yeah, no problem. I'm Brad Hoppy. Um, uh, 
basically we're I'm a co-owner of Muskie Mayhem Tackle and you can reach us on Instagram, Facebook or muskymayhemtackle.com. Um, love to have you there. And John, why don't you uh, share where people can reach out to you if they're interested in a guide trip or just uh, communicating with you? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, uh, like I said, my name is John Holmgren. Uh, I run two seeker guide service out of the Bemidji area. Um, and my number is 218-242-3636. And also, um, being the millennial I am, you can find me on Facebook and you can find me on um, Instagram as well. So, but, uh, I just want to thank you guys for, for the time too. It's been great. I love doing this kind of stuff. This is what I'm all about. I can promise you, if you guys do a guide trip with me, you're going to leave with more information. We're going to have a great time. Um, I'm, I can be serious at times just cause I want to get you on fish, but we're going to have a blast and you guys are going to get filled with a bunch of knowledge and, and it's what I love to do. So very good. stuff. I, I know that we appreciate you coming out tonight to John, spend some time with us, adding some, uh, some knowledge to our podcast. Say Carrie, since you're still around here, are you going to set up a personal, uh, Facebook page? Like a, you know, like a Carrie fan page for the podcast or not? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, not unless I actually need to. No, I think you're going to need to. You're a pretty big deal. <laughs> That's funny. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, Jeff. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyways, thank you guys all for coming out tonight. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Episode 7 will be up uh, sometime next week. We'll get Episode 6 rolling here pretty quick. Thank you, guys. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Thanks.